I got a text halfway through the night and yeah. it said the founder. Founder. As you'll have heard last week in episode 7, the Wheat Chief in my native northeast may appear to be a fairly ordinary pub, but what happened there back in 2004 was far from ordinary. It was extraordinary, terrifying, and dangerous. The story of what happened at the Wheat Chief is almost unbelievable, and as those events played out in the weeks and months past, it just continued to get scarier, stranger, and more perilous. Tonight, Let's return to the Wheat Chief, one of the most haunted pubs in England. Welcome to episode 8 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head back to Bolden in Tyne and Weir for the culmination of our two-part special and ask the question, just how haunted is the Wheat Chief pub? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Last week you'll have heard the first part of my interview with my guest, medium Suzanne Gill. The lady at the centre of the incredible story of how a charity site ignited at the Wheat Chief Public House in West Bolden, Tyne and Weir, would change her life forever, as she would encounter a young girl called Jessica, desperately in need of her help. Suzanne took us through an astounding telling of her time working to help the ghosts of children, and one child in particular at the Wheat Chief. As I spoke to her, it soon became apparent to me that the account of the story that has been recounted in books, magazines, and on countless websites since that night in 2004, is not only inaccurate, but it's also incomplete. 
In the first part, Suzanne told us about her first meeting with the spirit of a desperate, pleading little girl in the ladies' toilets. She encountered a man called Paddy, a former landlord named George, and another phantom by the name of Edward, who told Suzanne that they'd been waiting for her, and begging her to save the children. She also had a first run-in with a man called Joseph, a malevolent spectre responsible for many of the deaths of the children that haunt the wheat chief, but who also aimed to do Suzanne actual, physical harm as she tried to help these helpless, lost little souls. And she knew that he was capable of it, considering Joseph is blamed for pushing a man drinking in the pub in 2003 over a balcony, which put him in a coma. As she spoke to the staff at the wheat chief, Things became even stranger, as they broke down in tears, telling her that they'd been dabbling with a Ouija board prior to that psychic night, which first saw her visit the pub, and they'd received the message, Suzanne's coming for me. She told staff things about the building that they couldn't know, and that they didn't even know themselves until they dug, quite literally, a little deeper, knocking down a wall in search of the remains of little Jessica. This terrifying journey that she went on cost her a relationship and her sanity, and it isn't over yet, as we hear the second and final part of my conversation with Suzanne Gill. We pick up with Suzanne explaining what happened as they work through the night trying to get through the brick wall in an upstairs room looking for Jessica. Right, okay, so the instant of her breaking away from the plaster to, from the paint to the plaster to the brick, uh, that took till five or six o'clock in the morning and she wouldn't let go. And then Dave pulled her aside and says, you're not going to get any further forward by doing this. You need to chip away at the brick and then yeah. we'll wake it through. That's when we got all the help. That's okay. when we found. So you got to think of that was the Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. As soon as it, the, the Sunday, everybody was up there taking away the bricks. There was a m- number of people that got involved with that, yeah. not just Dave. So the, the owner, Dave, Davey Guy, was so struck on getting this little girl out. Yeah. And there was never any speculation. It was like, right, this is real. This is actually happening. Yeah. So we made we made um, changes for the, um, for the Monday night. So I, I took a rest day. And then on the Monday, we all got back together again. I was very apprehensive. I was wound up, wound up. So this is like five, six days of endless night's sleep, this, that, and the other, and what was going through. And when I met back up with them again, Cam turned around and said to me, why don't me and you like get a little bit, get together a little bit earlier? I was like, right, okay. So I got there before everybody else, before the group got there at nine. So I was there from around about five, six o'clock. I walked in and she said, I've, I've got the footage here of the, of the um, photographs. Why don't we have a look at them as well? I was like, right, okay, no problem. So I needed this this time to get to understand the bearings and have a look at the wall and, you know, look deeper into what was going on. I got there and I was up against the bar, you know, the lounge bit where you got mm-hmm. the, the, the cellar. I, I was do, up yes. against there. The next minute, Cam said to me, um, I'm just going into going to get the CD and then I won't be, be long. You know, you just go and sit down and get the laptop ready. So, yep. I was in the lounge on my own. Then the next minute, 
I seen this figure appear behind me. And it was this bloke. Okay. He come, he was physical. He come strumming up towards me, like leaning on me, like putting all of his pressure on top of me. And he says, I'm here for a date. I was saying, yeah, yeah. He says, I want a glass of wine. And he was hemming at the bar like this, and being very aggressive with me, just struck off at me straight away. And I just felt very intimidated. So I waited for Cam to come through. And Cam seen him, and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I just give her that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he was leaning on top of me again. He was pushing my body against the, the bar brass ball but around the ball I pushed him away and I said will you back off he yeah. went what's your problem he says I'm on a date he kept on telling me he was on a date Cam served him he was very abrupt he sat then straight away to a certain corner I didn't know at the time it was Joseph's corner there's a oh. certain part of the bar that he liked to linger around. Okay. The alleyway, between the alleyway and the DJ's desk is the most vibrant, paranormal side of that pub. Right? Mm -hmm. He sat there, slammed his wine on the glass, on the table. Yeah. Started sipping his wine, wouldn't keep his eyes off me. Cam says, go over. Just go over to the other side of the, you know where the bay window is? Mm -hmm. Go over there and I'll be with you in a minute. That's just right. I needed to go to the toilets. So I ran upstairs. And as soon as I ran up them stairs, went to the toilets, come out of the toilets, the door and the bottom door between that corridor slipped. Cam told me as soon as he heard that door click, he ran up to the toilets. And as soon as I was coming out, he tried to toss me over the balcony. He was leaning now deadly against me. Mm -hmm and threatening me he had my back up against the wall I don't know who he is where he come from and I'd never seen him before in my life but this immense power that this man thought that he could intimidate me mm -hmm. that was just the tip of the iceberg I managed to struggle away from his grasp grabbed downstairs went back down to, to, to the lounge all flustered everything that was going yeah. on um, went into the into the safe zone with me and just said pretend that he's not there mm -hmm. there's no one else in that pub Rob no one yeah and where he came from I do not know but he was there we ignored him watched the footage this that and the other and all of a sudden there was a big almighty bang on the table I looked straight at him and I says what's your problem he went, you. I went, how can that be? I've just met you. You, you can't even gauge that. How, how can that happen? He went, you think you're clever, don't you? You think you're clever. Put the wine glass down. Yeah. Put the bottle down and walked out the pub. And we never seen him again. Now, you could turn around and say, what was that all about? That was just, again, like the brief incident of physical, threatening. You didn't know who to trust. You didn't know where to go. And it happened twice. 
Not once. So, hmm. why that came in is unaware. I was I was unaware. No. But I always knew at that time, from that moment on, you got to have basically eyes in the back of your head. Yeah. Do you what think I- that this guy was somehow channeling Joseph, or whether he was just another? Well, Cam has been working there for over 10 years and she'd never seen them before. No. I asked Dave, I asked you, I really, I even described them and they'd never seen them before. No. So whether that happened, I do not know. Yes, yeah, so That's strange. But again, it happened twice. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That was, that was something that, it drew my attention to how how intense this really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't about even the little girl. It was basically no. me coming in and threatening what he was doing. Yeah. Now, as the, as the Monday night progressed, like I say, mm-hmm. and I just shook it off, we all got together. Quarter to nine, it was the time that we all got together. We, you know, everybody, everything was winding down. And I mean, the pub you know, downstairs and stuff like that. So we used to vacate upstairs and okay. get out the way. And yeah. then once them doors were closed, that was it. There was a different different layout altogether. Dave found it in his heart to bring a couple of his mates over to give a hand with with their, um, the brickwork. Okay, yeah, the wall. Yeah, to try and find, because like I said, it's, there's no point in going at it with, them, with a hammer. You're not going to no. get anything forward. So... There was a few lads in the room and they were all pulling around and everybody was getting involved and this, that and the other. Dust was in the room as well, but it wasn't. this had nothing to do with dust, what I'm about to tell you. We were all standing there. Dave was on a ladder, right? So this is like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Dave was on a ladder, right? Mm -hmm. Going all the way up to the top, trying his best to chip away at what he needs to chip away. All of a sudden, one of the lads screamed, now, from a grown man, he went, what the hell is that? There was a light. This enormous light was like, how can I put it? It looked like a multi-rainbow, but it wasn't. Okay. And it was a figure inside an orb. At least 13 people seeing it float across the room. It come in the center of us, but it come from the ceiling down. Mm-hmm. And then it started, so it was quite big. Yeah, You could see the actions that were made inside of this, I'd say, could be a membrane, could be an embryo. We're going, we're going to call it like an embryo. Okay, okay? yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I could see it. And it was pulsating all this electric energy. And I swear to you, it went different ways, sink down, up, down, round about, different ways across this room. And then it went into the kitchen. It went towering across into the kitchen. By the time we followed it, it disappeared. How big was this embryo? That big. Okay, so like the size of an orange. It was like yeah. it was like a speckle of light. It was like basically Tinkerbell. Yeah. 
That's the only words I could describe to you. So mm-hmm. it's a speck of a light like that in the middle of yeah. the room. All of a sudden it turned blues and then greens and everything. And then it started, as it started to move, it started to grow. Okay. But you could see facial expressions. You could see certain things that were in shape. And there was two people that took pictures of it as well. And I caught the picture. It's a woman. A woman. As she was, one person caught the picture as she was coming out the room. It was a woman. And when you zoom into the face, you can see it's a woman. A woman. Is this a woman whose face you'd seen previously in the the Ouija? Had something to do with. There's a lot more to it than than just the little girl, as I said. Yeah. To you. Yeah. Yeah. And the woman's got some big part to play in it, but I'll mm. tell you about that in a moment. Okay. The reason why I'm saying they're building it up towards because there's too much to come and pack in. There's too much to process. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. As to what's going on. Okay. So as as that happened and. As the as the orb came in shape, then lights started to happen. Then certain things started to take shape as well. As they were digging away through the wall, we found it very difficult to try and get everything out of the room because there was finals there. There was loads of stuff in the room, and it was like a storeroom. Yeah. So we decided what we, what we should do is try and sift through the stuff and try and sift through what we found. That night, we all dug, dug. We never made any connection whatsoever to the little girl. I tried my best to find more more about what was going on, but I thought the main focus was concentrate on getting getting this wall into some form or order or yes. shape. So there's four or five of them on, on that job. We went downstairs. When I was down there, this is my first ever experience in in the cellar. Okay, okay. the cellar, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is that if you look at the back of the bar of the wheat chief, the cellar's original hatch is in between the um, the back door. Okay. And is in between the toilets. Toilets that you recognize. Yeah. That wasn't the layout the way it was at the time when I was there. No. So it got refurbished straight away, like a year after mm-hmm. all of this went on. Okay. So anyway, I seen that there was a hatch that took them into a different part of the cellar. So the lounge, where where I was, yeah. that was the direct link to going downstairs in his in his um in his day and age. Yes. Okay. So. I went down the cellar and I was threatened straight away. There was a there was a connection to a little boy called Samuel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I I really strongly connected to him and a little girl called Annabelle, or her name was Annabelle. Ah. These two children were were basically in the shadows of the wheat chief. And there's one thing that was important throughout all of this is that the connection I got with the, with Jessica, the little girl, was yes. the strongest link. The amount of people that were in that pub, I think sometimes they were too scared. Scared of Joseph? Uh, maybe. Maybe. See, the place, the place turned out to be like a, um, a massive vortex at the end. There was people there that shouldn't have been there. 
for instance, there was a man called John that I picked up on. He died in a motorbike accident down the bottom of the road. He was there. Okay. So whether that's left something open mm -hmm. and that form, I just connected to another man that was part of the, the First World War. Had no connection to the weed chief, fell down the quarry. He was there. Now from the quarry to, to the pub itself, it's mm -hmm. okay, a few hundred yards down the road. Yeah. I totally understand that. But um, it's just, there was, I, I just couldn't understand why they were there. And whether the, the pub was drawing them in. Okay. Yes. Getting back to the children, Samuel and Annabelle. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just felt this dense pressure of hunger. You know, things weren't right. The more I was looking deep into it, the more I felt that it, it was they had some connection towards their their end coaches, which is at the back of the building. You see, the wheat chief's there. Then, did you know there's a house that's connected to it? No. That's called the stables. Okay. That's the stables. Mm -hmm. So I felt that he was connected to the to that part of um, the part more to the right. When you're in the wheat chief car park, you can see a house that's attached to the park. Yeah. That's, that's connected to the oh, stable. Okay. The way that these children told me what happened in their life's journey, different. there was different accents. There was they, they, were, they were from different parts of the UK. They weren't they weren't all Geordies no. or from Sunderland. Yeah. Okay. Well that night when I went down and in, into into the cellar, I covered a lot more. There was a tunnel. The tunnel in the cellar? There's a tunnel. Okay. Connected between the weed chief. And the tunnel is connected between the weed chief and the church. The church. The church that you mentioned before. St. Nick's Church. Okay. You see, a long time ago, there was tunnels that were running right through that, 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 and there's a tunnel that runs from Hilton Castle all the way to Red House. Yeah. It used to be because them days, like I say, when the Vikings turned up, or there was other people that would come to threaten their land, there was no other way but to run under than to yeah. run away. So that's what I felt. I sensed straight okay. away. It couldn't have been connected to the church. It couldn't have been connected to the church. It could have been connected to the door next to the house next door. But it was definitely on that area. Mm -hmm. I'm not confirming that it was there, but like I say, it, it was striking to me why this this had something to do with the brow of the hill. Well, anyway, as I come out of the cellar, we heard an almighty growl. Growl. I never forget it. I never forget it. There was four or five people in that cellar that, that night while everybody else was upstairs doing what they had to do. Yeah. We were downstairs finding more clues. And this wasn't a growl. It was more like a very angry scream. More like a very angry man that is frustration trying yes. to release. But it was coming from the other side of the room. 
when you walk into the cellar, you've got the big door and then it leads you all the way around and it's all like in, in and stone bricked and things like that. Yeah. I felt it was bigger. I always felt it was a different part and it was coming through there. So I turned around and tried to face what was, was growling at us or what was threatening us at that time. Just things started to move. Footsteps started to appear right in front of me. Heavy breathing. That's when I knew I was in deep water. I had to get out. It was like playing a little bit of Russian roulette. Okay. In a way. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got this in your hand. Yeah. You don't know that next bullet's going to be yours. Or it's got your name on it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, I see what you mean. If you're if you're in a, a vulnerable situation with the whole of this experience, and he's going to do something similar to what that lad encountered the year prior, and that was a grown man, you know, mm-hmm. he had the strength of twenty men. That's what I need to let you know. I understand that because he can intimidate any man, or he can intimidate any person. Yes, that's that's his way of of um, communication. I decided to let that go. Um, we went back upstairs and we finished off what we needed to do with the findings of the bricks and, and this, that and the other in the wall. I was so unnerved about what, what was about to happen and my, my future was very uncertain. One, I was very threatened. Another, I might put my whole career at mast here. Is this something that I'm tested on again? Mm-hmm. So anyway, the following day, we all got back together again. And that's when things started getting a little bit unnerved. Okay. Yeah. We were up against a lot. I had to, um, I was going to be late that, that evening. I I had to do a little bit of work to do in Hartlepool, you know, psychic fairs, this, that, and the other. And... I just knew that everybody was meeting up on an early occasion and this is what they were going to do. And they were going to pursue to try and find a little bit more information about the war. I got a text halfway through the night and yeah. it said, we found her. Found her. So this was that, the whole, that they were, this is the, the brickwork that we're trying to get through in this upstairs room. Yes. Okay. This is where it was like, wow. You could have took me and blew me away. And there was come from Cam. So I bombed all the way up the A19 from Hartlepool, got to Bolden, like strike a lightning. Yeah. Um, ran up the stairs. And there's everybody in the room dusted all over the place. What they found was where I said where she was, she dropped. We found the brace of her heel of her shoe. Okay. The shoe. We also found clothing of her and a pocket matchbox with a penny in it. A pocket night matchbox. So I think it's called punnet or pocket matchbox. Now, when I Googled what a pocket matchbox is, yeah, it was only dated around about the time. And what, what time was that? Do you remember? 1900s. 1900s. Yeah, at that time. So I couldn't describe the way I was feeling that, that when I heard the, when I seen that text to more holding some material or yeah. garments or anything 
mm-hmm. in my office in the connection. You would, I was expecting, you know, skull and crossbones and whatever you're going to expect. But just something significant was enough. Just something to, to let me understand why all of this is happening to me at the same yeah. time. As like you said at the beginning of this interview, I could easily walk away. Why didn't you? Yeah. Why didn't you walk away? Why did you pursue it all the way through? Not for anything, but satisfaction for some some validation in my head yeah maybe not but when that happened and that was enough that's when the threat started that's when it started getting very very heavy yeah and talking about finding her in the wall so um they've, they've managed to get through this brick brick wall they found evidence that Jessica's body was there, but mm. her, that isn't a final. There was traces of her, but that wasn't. The, the remains of her weren't there in their entirety. Yeah, and yeah. that is where there is certain things that I will remember from yeah. the bleachy. But you've got to understand that from this point on, how much can I take to find the answers? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. You know, I was mm-hmm. up against everything. I do feel that, okay, at the end of it, people's patience was running thin. I can understand that as well. I can, if I take you back and go right back through it all, I'd be like, oh my God, yeah, that, whatever. But I, as there is human, I didn't understand what was pinpointed to what part, to what's relevant no. to the other. No, no, but definitely not. I also understand as well that this is where the bigger part of it all plays off. Are you ready for this? Yeah. So we found this material, found all of this, that, near that. Then I put that aside, left it at one side of the room, and I went, decided I just had an exhausting night, and I decided that me and a young lad, Cam's son, Paul, went in went downstairs to get a drink. It was too much. So I walked away, okay? As I was walking down the corridor, there was two bar stools, one on top of another, like that. Yeah. Just in the corner, you know? The next minute, I grabbed a hold of Paul and I said, step back. He went, why? And all of a sudden, the bar stool went like that. And then it went like that again. Span around. It span around. Yeah. On top of each other. It's like somebody was pushing it and pushing mm-hmm. it and pushing it. Yeah. Right? He was gobsmacked. And the next minute it flipped up as if you were about to place it on the ground. Yeah. And it bounced across the wall. Aiming in my direction. Okay. So that's when I knew that there was something else. Mm. Or I touched the nerve. Or I touched yeah. some part of the terms towards me clarifying a few things or yeah. didn't his ego? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. He's a ghost. Ghosts, you've experienced it yourself. You can get really nasty airy ghosts. You can I just go around thinking that the controller joint. But at the end of the day, with this one, it was like 
I'm here to seek the truth. Mm-hmm. That's what I've got to do. Yeah, and no, definitely. Child at the same time. Yeah, this little girl had to find peace, regardless mm-hmm. what what would happened. When that happened, we all decided that we'd go downstairs, and we'd just leave it alone because it was getting too much. Yeah, people were getting pushed, punched. Just a number of things were were very, very daunting. On that that Wednesday, so you've got to think of a a week later. This is what we were up against. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And things started getting a little bit tight. So the following day, we all come back in again. Okay. And this time, that's when the Canadians turned up. As I mentioned to you about yeah. they described everything that was going yes. on. Yes. Yeah. And I got threatened by that young man as well. When it come to that weekend, the following weekend from where I was from the following Saturday, we decided that we would just take on a different spin off it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had to face him. I had to face him. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to do that. I don't know if it was stupidity at the time, but, um, Dave come up with a really good idea. Why don't you try and communicate with them on the board? Okay. Because we were getting threatened. Um, there was certain parts to the whole experience where every single one of us were getting threatened in our house. You know, certain things went wrong. You know, nightmares visitations, all of this, that and the other. And this was, wasn't just happening to me, it was happening to at least 10, 11, 12 people at the time. And there was similarity, dreams and crazy experiences that they were, they were, they were basically, the, the, these memories wouldn't leave them. So I just knew that it was trying to get into our heads. Okay. And yes. try and play us off. So, Whilst we were trying to our best to um, to make a plan to communicate with them, with him especially, okay, because we did the best we could for the little girl. This is on the Saturday night. I decided to leave the hole of the wall alone and we'll come back in, make a fresh start and then start off some, over again. Yeah. Okay. So there was this time, there was me, Cam, Dave, there was another psychic, and there was a two other few people, right? What happened here was we were all upstairs. Dave and Dave and Chris were at one side of one side of the room checking on the hole in the wall and doing a few other things. Me, Cam, and another psychic and, and Denise were all down by the toilets. We went into the men's toilets. And there's where I connected to Patrick. He's one of the ghosts that's still in there to this present day okay and um i connected to him and he turned around and said that um there was a a, a love for an alice alice and i was like right okay so i kept on bringing up this this female alice and then all of a sudden i started getting strange strange visions of um 
three co a corridor with three rooms. I was like, I've never seen this before. How is this happening? And then all of a sudden, there was it was connected to a brothel. Okay. Right. Yeah. As the story untold unfolded, Joseph had his dab handers for people that were coming in and out. Coach horses, this, that, and the other. And yeah. that was part of the big cover-up. Because even though I'm, 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 I'm focusing on the little girl and emphasising what's important to her and releasing her, what was behind the veil was all of this matter going on at the same time. I was standing in the, in the toilets, right? There was Cam, there was a lot of people there. All of a sudden, Cam turned around and said to me, shh, can you hear that? And I looked around and I went, no. She went, can you hear the child? And this was coming through to the corridor between the two rooms, like I say. So you've got, a, you've got a little bit of a gap between you can get your senses together. The next minute, all you heard is an absolute massive electric bang. Screams like I heard for the first night that I've ever experienced there as well. And then a child, a child running straight past the toilets. By the time we broke free and got out to that door, you could follow the footprints going across to the room. A scream was immense, cracking through the whole of the atmosphere. It was so deafening that it was just penetrating around the walls. The group followed the scream. Yeah. I did. I went the opposite way. As I went, as they followed the scream going down into the rooms that led into the kitchen where they ever they went, mm -hmm. I went the opposite way because I knew that I would collide. What I did was I went down the balcony, down the stairs, and brought myself back on the lounge. Then I seen him coming out of the, the the archway with something rumbling in the, under his under his um, arms. He went. He opened the cellar door and looked at me as he brought it back down again. And then this noise stopped. And who was this? Joseph. Joseph. So as I say, yeah. she ran towards the doors, mm -hmm. the room, sorry. She ran towards the room screaming. You could hear the noise coming, bounding down the corridor. Yeah. The rest of the group in front of me so they ran instantly where the noise was going to take them mm -hmm. Dave would come out running out the room he ran and the stairway the spiral stairway he come out of the darkness the spiral stairway is in between the bar and the lounge runs the back okay and I ran the other way and that's when I come down the lounge and he come out of the darkness. <sighs> There's certain things that you go through. As like I say, being a medium and I see a lot of things. 
okay, and experience for other people, especially, you know, grief and pain. Yeah. But I felt so defenseless. Just wanted to do a lot more for her. But maybe I could. I don't know. Yeah. But I think I'm the only person who tried. In some form or way. It was getting to it's getting to stages where there had to be some form of light. Mm-hmm. If they did, then he'll take me and take a lot of us down with him. I mean, you're up, a, like I say, you you know, you don't realise when you meet your maker or you meet someone as strong as that. Yeah. That you'll ever forgive or you'll ever understand it. There was no time for all of that. There wasn't any time for anything. No. It was just live in the moment, put that aside, don't even address it, talk about it later, and then just crack on. Yeah. And that's what was important. I had no other choice but to face my nemesis. And that's what I did. I faced him on the Ouija board. And like I say, you know, the the messages that were coming through on there, we threatened, he threatened me, he threatened my children, he threatened everything. He knew it. He knew my children's names, the date of births, even though Cam's kids' names didn't understand that he had a voice then, and with that voice, he felt that he had that inferior type of hold over us. Yeah, but in some form, I was weakening him at the same time. We had an endless battle. I never touched the Ouija board, I wouldn't. No. It's something that I refuse. But I had to use, uh, sorry, I had to ask Cam, Dave, and them to go back on and use yeah. them as the strength. And that's what I did. So you weren't touching, you weren't touching anything on that board, but yet it was still given the names and the dates of births of your children. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's terrifying. We're dealing with something that we don't... I mean, I, I don't really understand what they're capable of doing or what intention was, was there at this point in time. He made it personal. Yeah. Rob. He made it very personal. And when somebody touches your own... You know yourself. You're just aiming at a weakness. Yeah. You know, you're mm-hmm. aiming at something that is yours. Yeah. And even to the point where I had a, like I say, a solid relationship that I thought was solid. Within the space of six months of walking out of the weed chief from the September till the March, I was on my own. Yeah. What happened there? Everything happened. Everything mm-hmm. went. There was never a part, never a time when things went right. Yeah. In the whole ordeal. First of all, Dave turned around and said to me, I've got another couple of people that want to come in and get involved. And that was a regular thing at the time, you know, it felt yeah. like it was circus of points. Mm-hmm. It didn't come to me until 
we were sitting down at the table in depths of despair that I realized there was too many people in the room. Okay. And I realized we're in danger. And the reason why I say this is because imagine that the dim light, there is only little silhouettes of their heads that I could see on that table in front of me. I had the alleyway right beside me. I had the, the cellar right behind me. And he also had the whole of the stairs in front of me in a dim light. All I could hear is the scraping of the glass going across the glass. That's all I could hear. And as they were communicating with this spirit, it didn't seem right. It wasn't him. And then when it dawned on me that I was up against a multitude of bad spirits that were coming in, threatening me at the same time, yeah. coming through that alleyway, then I realised, my guide said to me, get off the board, get off and get them away and get them to safety because he was upstairs. I knew where he was. Whether it was my intention, the, the mediums inside of me that could have a radar of where he was and what, how I knew him and how I knew his moves and how I knew everything about him was unreal. It was too much. You you don't you can't do that. You can't you can't break it down like that. I've never like I say I've never experienced anything like that before. And for the knowing that it's deep down in your soul, it's like hearing a child's cry. It's like hearing a voice that you recognise instantly. But how do you recognise if you've never met this person before? Yeah. That was on par of where this was coming in. So I'm standing there in front of the everybody getting on on the, the the Ouija board. They were communicating with someone, didn't know who they were communicating with, but it wasn't Joseph because he was upstairs. I said, stop the board. And they went, what? Stop the board. We've got to get off. Get away from where we are. Get away and we're in danger. And they all rustled away and all of a sudden this black oppression comes scooping past the glass, burst and then come straight through me and went straight down the alleyway. And what it was, I do not know to this very day, but it wasn't Joseph. Then we had to take a breather, had to mm -hmm. find out what was going on. Yeah. It was like, if you're walking, if you swim with sharks, that's the only way that I can describe to you, okay? But it's like being in the collapse, the crust of somebody that can get you very vulnerable. And that's what it wanted to, to me to be, feel very confused and vulnerable. Okay. Again, we tidied the place up. We went back on the board. This time, we got the people out the room. There was only three or four of them at the time. It was like 10 of them. And now they, they just sent them away. It was too much. Mm -hmm. This time, I felt more in control, so I called for them, and they were skating around the board. It's just the, the, the glass was just toppling and doing what it needed to do, and the next minute, all I heard was, pop my French, bitch, 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 that's all I could hear. That's all yeah. that the girl was spelling out to me was bitch, mm -hmm. and I was like, I caught your attention then. 
And then I started connecting to him. And I started asking questions. Why these people are in this building? Why are they here? And the information that came out was, it's my place and you got in my way. You got in my way. Names were coming out that they took note. Names were coming out that that would, like I say to you, you know, people that died in the 70s and in the 60s and they, did, they ended up in this place. Why? I don't know. No. But the threatening behaviour he pointed at me wasn't about the, the connection to my private life. It was more fo- focused on me, that indirectly. That's what scared the life out of me. How does he know about my past? How does he know who I am? Yeah. Even my address, where I live. How would the spirit understand the conscious mind if they're dead? They say spirits don't have any conscious ability. They don't have no. any any forward thinking. Well, how can that happen then? All they are is a memory of a haunted location. Mm-hmm. But he came out with information that nobody knew. That was stripping me down. Yeah. Person, to maybe make me feel like that little, little, little child. That's when I knew there must be some connection towards either a past life or some knowing between me and him. So it went from me saving the little girl, getting her out of the wall, this, that, and the other, and and not saving her as such, finding her. I didn't save anyone. I found her. Mm -hmm. I validated this, validated that. There is no saviour in this. There is no hero. It's just I did a job. That's all I did. That's the way I look at it. That's the way I always will look at it. But it's left me with a lot of unanswered questions, like I've said to you. Yes. I deal with a lot of ghost nights, this, that, and the other. They always go in the familiar pattern of what they know, of who they are, same characters. But they will never come out with information and physical stuff like that. So there had to be a different form of conscious. Yeah. From him, or he was very good at telepathy. Because when I was communicating with the board, it was like something clicked. How can I put it? It's like me stepping into your mind and you bringing back information back at me without any form of verbal communication. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. So I'm standing in front of this board and they're getting tired, like, you know, it started to get a little bit of a head-to-head situation. And the woman, the psychic lady, was asking him questions and I was answering them before even, before the, 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 the glass moved. I didn't know him. I no. didn't understand what was going on. 
but something went on. Yeah, but you knew the answer to questions specifically about him before the answers were spelled out on the board. Anything. And I was starting to come to this, this immense anger and I could see visions and I could understand I was making him weaker, but was I? Or was I just giving him that that motion to feed off? What <laughs> was he allowing me to do it? I don't know. But something happened that night. Something that I like I say, I never deal with the media, but I wouldn't thank you for, for being in the room with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first time I've ever seen the Ouija board play so so hard the way it did that night. It was all over the place. Yeah. And so so were the people. They were terrified. They were on the walk the board from eleven o'clock until six o'clock in the morning. So what does that tell you? Yeah. You know? Did it have to be that way? Of course it did. Because there was no way would I have trusted not my own instincts as a medium but trusted him and understand these visions that i was coming in from different eras different episodes different this different that picking up on the children in the cell to picking up on paddy in the toilets to pick up on anything that was coming in i needed to pinpoint him down to the ground and that's what i did yeah and it was the most courageous thing that i've ever experienced before while it's witnessed in front of a lot of people, that was my final straw. That was around about the back end of November when I did that. That's when I knew I had to walk away. Yeah. But then did I walk away or did I just break away? Because things started happening again. Mm-hmm. For instance, Cam got pushed out of the bar and by, by a bottle that was coming semicircle in the middle of the air plastic bottle and just pushed it out the bar and would you believe it was just coming bailing out it to, to, to aim for the head and that was one of the incidents the two the second one was um bangs noises um out oh, that was it i had a dream this dream there was a there was a reoccurring dream that happened one of the psychics like i say she had a dream or a vision of Dave being pushed down the stairs. And as I mentioned, a young man did get pushed down the stairs. Yes. Prior. This dream was, it was Chris. He always wore a red top and then the, the, like either white jeans or a, or a pair of jeans. Yeah. And what happened is, is that I could see him grabbing a hold of Cam and pulling her down the stairs to the cellar in the stream i'm standing by the second bay window right mm-hmm. yeah and as i'm standing there i'm screaming and screaming and they, she couldn't hear me all that she could see is all this drama going on in my dream the next minute he dropped cam spotted me and come running towards me with a fear of the, like this rage and that's when i knew that he was coming back what i walked into at that time After that dream, I got in touch with Cam and said, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. And she went, yeah, there's a build-up of things happening here. Things were flying off the walls. 
you know, I'm talking like glasses were falling off the off the shelves and stuff like that. Yeah. It was like it was like it wouldn't didn't even give it less than a month before it started escalating. So I says we need to come back in. So we met a date and set that set that away. This time it was on the physical. We were all upstairs. Mm-hmm. And um I invited my auntie over from Liverpool. Yeah. She came over to experience what was going on. There's about eight, nine people upstairs. We're in the room with the hole in the wall. Yeah. And um all of a sudden the the door burst wide open. And it was one of the one of the um, the pub owners, he's been away and we're living in Spain. And he was disgusted about all this cement dust that's around his new gear and all this, that and the other. But I didn't know this. So we and him didn't hit it off. No. We just basically started grinding at each other type mm-hmm. of thing, you know. And he was very abrupt and I was trying my best to calm the situation down. Because I knew that it was escalating for no apparent reason. It just started burning up again. So anyway, we calmed that situation down. And as he was arguing with me, there was there was I noticed there was a man that popped his head around the door. And he went, You better sort this mess up. This is the owner saying, You better sort this mess up. But when he looked, he seen the bloke and he was a bit startled about why what he was doing there. So he says, he starts threatening me. So he, he walked back out the door and this bloke just stood there in the middle of the room. Yeah. This is the words he said. I says, can I help you? He went, if you want to look for her, you've got to find the green paint. And I went, what? You want to find her, don't you? Look for the green paint. There was eight or nine people in the room. I went, who are you? He went, no need to worry about that. And then he went straight for the bricks and started sorting out the bricks. And I looked and everybody was like, what the hell's going on? What exactly is going on? Yeah. And he was just humming, just mm, sorting out these bricks. Never seen him before in my life. Cameron never seen him. Davy didn't know who the bloody hell he was. And nobody'd seen him. So all of a sudden, he told us if you want to find her, and then started going to the part where we're digging. Right? Yeah. Nancy was on the other side and she started kneeling down and helping him for some strange reason. That that was their part to play. Yeah. I was talking to the rest of the t- team. Well, he's humbling on with these bricks. That doesn't belong there. That belongs there. That doesn't belong there. That belongs there. And I was like, what are you doing, mate? And he turned and looked me, Auntie Annie, dead on. She went, he's got eyes like sharks. Black eyes. She pulled me like that. She went, Suzanne, there's something wrong. I went, whoa, what? She went, he's got eyes like sharks. His eyes have gone black. I did not know what to do. No. But my reaction was to get these people to safety. 
or find some way to see what the hell was going on. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I bent down and started talking to him. I went, I'm Suzanne. What are you looking for? If you want to find the green paint, you want to find her. You look for the green paint. She's not here. She's been moved. So then he went really weird. Really weird. Like he went, yeah, weirder. Mm. Like into a trance. I've got all this on footage, by the way. Oh, brilliant. And I'm not lying. Oh, I don't know. No, I don't, don't know what you're saying. And I just want to say that even though how crazy it sounds, even to this, me talking 18 years down the line, it still was one of the most craziest times in my life ever experience. Yeah. So then he started going a little bit like um, humming. He started humming and I looked straight into his eyes and there was no way I could detect some some form of his pupils had dilated or whatever. And believe me, there was no alcohol on his breath. None whatsoever. So I knew that it was not intoxicated or there's something else that was happening there. I couldn't keep my eyes off him. Then he started standing up and started shrugging himself off. And I've grabbed Chris and Dave. I said, please, for God's sake, don't let him leave this pub. Whatever you do, don't let it happen. He walked out the door. He went rushing down the stairs. We had to section him off into one side of the bar. And then that's when it, that's when things started getting really serious. From that point, we had to scrap the whole, scrap the upstairs, forget about it, right? And watch somebody take full form of possession. His face changed, his personality changed. Even though I never met him, like I say, I would know this man, whether, he, whether he's got that type of momentum, I wouldn't even know him. I wouldn't even understand him. But what I see within them few minutes from him walking in to directing me to them bricks, I knew there was something different here. So, firstly, we had to we had to act quick. Well, I had to act quick. We locked him in the pub. As he wanted to, he started timing and he wanted to get out, get into the bar. Yeah. And get out of the pub. I said, it's not possible. Okay. I was sitting there, I was smoking at the time. Would you believe I smoked about 30 cigarettes in the space of five minutes? But at that point, he stepped into a place again that I knew he, he was familiar with. He went straight into Joseph's corner and sat at the chair with that man oh. with the bottle of wine. He was, you see, the thing is, though, Joseph always had coins in his hands. Mm-hmm. So when you get two five pences together and you make a click, it makes a clink 
that's yeah. what he would do. That's when I knew that he was close by. It was at that point where things started getting very heavy, like I say. I pulled the team away and let him wander around and do what he's going to do. He's, the, the pub is locked. There's nothing else he can do. He never screamed or anything. He was just unfamiliar. He was just, he was just familiar towards what he knew, but mm-hmm. also his body was he was to and fro. He wasn't the pace in the floor. He just felt very confused. He looked confused. Okay, mm-hmm. so on them terms, I knew that there was some form of connection where Joseph has come in. That's when he started to react. Okay. That's when I knew that if he's walking out of this pub, he's going to take a lot of this man with him. Basically. So I decided to make a, um, a spiritual circle in a place called the safe zone, which is next to the bay window in, okay. in the Luigi pub. I put all the chairs together and everybody was, was there in the circle. This is the time when I did the same again, the head to head, but this time it was physically face to face. With the grace of God, I don't know how I got the strength to do it, but I quest them out. I started again. Like I did talking to him, shouting and bawling at him and this, that, and the other. I'm very, very angry about what was going on. And you can see in the footage that there is two men either side with him. One was Nick and one was Chris. They are absolutely shaking and crying right next to him. While they were sitting next to him. They were like this. Terrified. That's the oppression that he brought. That's the the magic of him. Mm-hmm. You could put that in terms. So what what I tried what I tried my best to do is one make sure the the man that that is within the grasp of Joseph was okay because he's unaware of what's going on. And two, how the hell did this happen? I I pushed with all my might. I physically pulled all the energy out of him with the power of the dowser. I don't know if you've you've heard of the dowser before, but it does have immense immense cleansing yeah. connection as long as you use it right. Mm-hmm. That's when I asked for for the connection to the higher power to try and release and rid of this altogether. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. It was like a ball of light that came and it come tunneling down towards the, the ceiling and it went all the way around the pub. That was one that was entered into part. When he was in that circle, the threats were unreal. It was terrifying to see his face change. It was absolutely frightening to understand why he was aiming directly at me and why this is happening to all of us. That's when we realized, that's when we realized that what he was doing, 
it wasn't so much of where he was and who he is. Yeah. It's so much when he had control. As I mentioned to you about the attic. Yeah. As he was possessed, I got really strong visions of people and children and also connected towards either a way a halfway house or whatever it was at the time okay mm-hmm. so when it all came to me as sudden as it did it never really left me he had true dominance over the pub over people and over what happened at the wee chief his power took control and haunted that that place for a long time but he also took a lot of souls with him as well now the way i looked at the whole scenario is jessica was a key point towards me more than anything else her connection was she got in the way a lot of people got in the way of, of his little foul moves or whatever he needed at that time the link between her and why she was there at the time yeah is yeah. the understanding is as i mentioned that she had a different accent yeah okay she was connected to upstairs and upstairs alone i felt that she always had a connection to a kathleen and she was connected more to elizabeth okay. which is connected to joseph so whether it's the thulbeck that brought it in whether it's connected to that journey i had so many key little points of what fitted in that bracket but the whole story is still out there yeah you know how can i put this in terms i had too much going on to uh, to try and digest and process what was important yeah. and yeah it was important yes her her finding peace is important yes more than anything else mm-hmm. i remember writing the the um the last of the second book and it was about four o'clock in the morning and i'm typing away and this isn't my old apartment now the light like that you know just like a dim light mm-hmm. and the next minute I, i looked up and there she was just like that and she disappeared to me that's validation to know that she's okay yeah i like to say in the audience when she did the book launch she appears when she needs to that the week chief could have been any pub mm-hmm. it wasn't about the grounds it's not about the pub it's about the whole experience of what happened there yeah you know a 100 year old mystery that resurfaced yeah that uncovered maybe that's why joseph didn't like the fact that i was exposing him yeah maybe that's what it was you know but everything's got to come to an end you know everything and as as the people in the pub in the past have said there was a lady called june she had it after dave she says every time we put a picture of you up in there things start falling off the walls i was like really she went yeah, yeah. so they stopped it 
Mm-hmm. The pub is still standing, but what happened back in 18 years ago is something else. So, so Je- regarding that particular location and Jessica, do we do we believe or do you have you had a, a message from Jessica to say that that's where she lost her life? I feel there was two sections to it. One was connected to the spiral stairs in between the yeah. um, the alleyway and the bar and the lounge. Mm-hmm. That's where she she got you know that's where she was running for her life. That's where he called her. Joseph. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that he the way that I always looked at it is he he did something that he got punished for. Whether it was connected towards a halfway house, whether it was connected towards money, it could have been anything. Yeah. Right? But that little girl and other people in that pub paid the price for. It wasn't just about her. It was about Samuel. It was about the other little kids that were there. Yeah. It's about the people that were up in the attic. I keep on mentioning them. Mm-hmm. and get about them um, when we were going through the wee chief like I say and there was one night that all of us I decided to there was too many people too many spirits in the pub I decided that I would start sending them on yes I've always had an ability to open the doorway and reach between one world and the other it's a good world don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, it's not bad. Okay. So I knew that this was inside of me. And this this is what I I I, I tried to do. There's one part which I would have the footage broke on it. So it's parts that you it's like my testament to you. Tam and another psychic lady was in front of me. Mm-hmm. I was raising my hands up like this. No, it was Chris. Cam was filming it, okay, with yeah. with Denise, and I'm raising my hands up like this, and I was asking for the for the power of divine spirit to come through, and asking for the connection to voice clarity and and transmutation, yeah, which is what I normally ask for. While I was doing that, I closed my eyes, and Cam went, "Oh my god!" I couldn't. Couldn't open my eyes. I just had to follow through what I was doing, sending them off in the light, this, that, and the other. When I finished all of this and asked for the for the for their loved ones to come down and do what they've got to do, yeah. There was lights on different sides of the wall. Mist and orbs started flying out of the lights. Okay. And they circled in a mist, like a vacuum. And that's what Cam went, oh my God. So when she witnessed that, yeah. and she's seen that, and her and Denise, well, I couldn't see it, because I had my eyes closed, and the others had their eyes closed, because they were part of the, of the connection towards mm-hmm. the, the energy to send on. She went, I've never experienced anything like that. That's when I knew that there were spirits in that attic. So this is the this is the um, the truth. <clears throat> what he used to do was, he used to 
prey on families. And he used to take innocence away from the younger generation. Yeah. Young girls. Yeah. And that's how he started making a little bit of wealth upstairs. And that's what this all boils down to. He had a big, massive fight in the pub. Everybody shunned him, took him where he's got to, to go. You see, when I was going through the census, how is it years ago when you had wealth and stature, you were well known for your name more mm. than anything else. You went from living in this big old mansion house to number two West Street in Bolden, which is a colliery house. Unless you're a brilliant gambler or you've done something yeah. traumatic. Them days, like I say, you know, you've got to have done something absolutely stunning or bad to go down that road. Because like the Freemasons, if you're in wealth, you know wealthy people. Yeah. You'll never be out a penny short of anything, really. So with him taking control of certain things that were carrying on and him taking control of of different 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 parts of mm -hmm. side the bone. That's when I knew he had more control over people. He found articles in 1888 where bodies have been laying on the grounds naked. We also found that mysterious things about a butcher ended up just decided to do himself in in the back of a butcher's yard minutes prior to seeing this man. The census statements, the Gazette attempted murder of Bolden. There was um, the Bolden Colliery Mysteries, a body of a man found in the quarry. Broccoli winds, shocking suicide at Bolden. And that was around about the time 1901. All of these were around about the time. And the seven or eight, nine incidents that were taken at the time. On Sunday morning, the young man was found in between the Durham, Durham police, which it was Durham at the time, wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't gated. It was moved at Harwick and um, Wakehouse Hospital. He died the same night. The body was not yet to be identified. He's the man with 20 years of age, very complex, five feet, 11 inches tall in height, deceased dressed in the working clothing. The police had no suspicion on foul play. But the true says traces of a single spot where the man was found and where the marks, the violence of his body, death was supposed to be resulted in the effects of the exposure. And that was over the road. So we went, like I say, we stepped back and stepped back and, and did a lot more than um, And it started to come a little bit more. Um, like it was building the case or it was building some form of character, you know? Yeah. Because in between all that time, you, know, you go back 20, 30 years, 
he got nothing. Then all of a sudden, in between him being there and all of that was uh, was going on. Could have been coincidence. It could have been anything really, but it just stuck out to me more why it was happening on that little area. I mean, yeah. you you even said it yourself. It's a little village. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, if anybody passing it. I think I've described it recently as an unremarkable pub in an unremarkable village. Yeah. I mean, if I was to go in today, is Joseph still present there? If somebody was to go along and have a drink there, is there any risk of them? Because I know you said you've moved a lot of spirits on, but if, if your photo was getting put up on the wall and then that was kicking stuff off, is Joseph likely to, to still be there to this day? No. 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 And was was he a spirit that was moved on, or in some ways, yeah. In some ways, what I need to bring it across is the the journey did not just stop there. Okay. Then, I had my own personal experience. You mentioned about the Discovery Channel and how they they decided that they were going to get in touch with me, yeah? Yeah. And again, would you say it's coincidence? I don't know. Um, I tried my best to move on. I had the little kids, like I say, and the, my children were only small. Um, and it just felt like I would hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Like, get over the weed chief and now just move on with life and just get trying to build up but back in to psychic fears and everything else. But I felt empty. There was something like an emptiness in my soul. I wasn't the same. I wasn't the same for a long time. So I kept in touch with a lot of people, you know, Chris and, and um, Dave and Cam, like I say, I'm still in touch with Cam to this very day. Yeah. And things for me personally went a little bit pear-shaped. My mind wasn't right. It left a scar, it left a massive seed somewhere Mm. very deep within. I tried to pick up where I left off. And then all of a sudden, one summer's afternoon, after moving house, would you believe? I got a phone call. It was off this girl, name was, her name was Rosemary, never forget her. And she she was scouring through the internet and found the story. Yeah. And she said um, that she'd be really interested, like I say, with the American accent, she'd be really interested in um, going through a few things with me. I says, yeah, 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 not a problem whatsoever. Mm-hmm. She says, have you got, have you got um, like, you know, footage, you know, have you got like um, witnesses? I says, yeah. So I give them a list of all the people that, that experienced it with me. They went through the same thing. And I didn't realize that it was a haunting and what they wanted and um, the, the haunting in, in Luigi Fara. Yeah. I was picked out by 57 other stories because they wanted to make a UK version of, you know, their experiences. Yeah. And they said, what makes yours stand out from the crowd? I went, well, here's one. I'll send out a picture, the picture I'm going to send you. And I said, zoom into the dress. 
and she did. And then they got a phone call back. Yeah, we'll, we'll take your story on. Yeah. So then I had no other no other choice but to keep up with the constant diary. Mm-hmm. A journal That's what they wanted to see. They wanted okay. to do this. So that meant feeding it again. Oh, okay. And stepping back in mm-hmm. and opening Pandora's box, you would say. That wasn't a good thing. Because the repercussions from that really stepped me ahead. It was very difficult after that. I felt like I fed him or woke up the dragon in a way. Because when when I was going through my experiences and writing them down and jotting all the information, that's when the emotion come after it. And it always is when you, you go through all of this, you know, trying to step back into the mindset. And that's when I felt how realized how vulnerable I was. Because you put a brave old face on. You haven't got time to process anything. And at that precise time I did. So you're talking from me walking away in December to them getting in touch with me around about the spring. I think it was the late spring, maybe May, that they got in touch. For them coming to visit us mm-hmm. the following year, that gave me enough time to to try and capture some part of my life back. But in another sense, be a mum and be self-employed and, and be this, this person that comes in with empathy yeah. and all of this, that and the other. When I was craving empathy myself, I was craving a lot. I was. I didn't realise. So when things come to a change, um, two days before the Discovery Channel got there, Joseph decided to appear. Okay. Big time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard that they got pushed out of bed? That happened to me frequently. Did it? Mm. God. Yeah. That's when you know that things get tough. Mm. And trying to understand and explain to someone what you they can't see, hear, yeah. feel, or touch. What I'm trying to say in the big picture of where where I am in the whole experience of going through the weed chief. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I can get on stage, I can do this, I can, you know, do do readings. Now it's this abundance of light and happy space. Back then it was you might as well be putting yourself and you're putting your head in a lion's mouth because there was no other way out. Trying to battle through that experience and find salvage or find someone to help release it or move it off was unreal, really bad. So yes, coming back towards your, your question, um, is Joseph still in the weed chief? 
Mm-hmm. I am, as I said to you, no. He's not. No. Because I've got more on the physical side of things to understand that he isn't. I mean, it comes to the point where I had to, this is on the medical terms, Mm -hmm. I had to get injections in my head because my head blew up. I was in a scientist magazine. The whole of all of these little tiny muscles and things like that just... I'm not saying I was in any form of depression because, I mean, it's a possession because I remember every bit of it, so it can't be that way. I just feel that something nasty had it, had an experience with me. And, yeah, it's when you when you walk a path where angels fear to tread. This is the price you have to pay. Yeah. No, no, you don't. I didn't deserve that. No. You helped a lot of the spirits that were there to move on. Was Jessica one of those? Is she? No. I mean, I know you said that she's given you signs and you've seen her when you were writing one of your, your books at four o'clock in the morning, but you helped her to move on from the wheat chief? Yeah. 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 So maybe, maybe there is a light at the end of this. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, she was no. begging you for help. So, well, it, it, it's coming to the point where she, it led me to that moment, yeah. and everybody that was in part of the whole experience, Cam, mm-hmm. Dave, everyone, yeah, was 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 a build up to that moment. But you know, when I write my fourth book, which is called Cathars, and it's it's Greek for walking out of tragedy into light. Okay, that's when I know that I've got my therapy. Yeah. Even if the book only sells five copies, it's therapy. It's also here, yeah, off there and on paper. Yeah, yeah I get that. You know? Mm-hmm. And like I've said, I can walk into any stage, any audience, and never, I feel in control of my life now. And I've gone so many depths and so many, so many things to happy occasions and all this abundance, but I've turned it around for the better because of the power of the mind. Yeah. Don't let it get to you. But for people who are out there that may be listening and thinking to themselves, well, is there something around me? Is something attached to me? I just need to ask one thing. Why would you even feel that? Is there a knowing to understand that you're not yourself, you'll you'll definitely know if there's something around you like. Yeah. Because there is telltale signs for it. Like you said about the gent that got his, his back scratched. That's yeah. an increase. That's, that's the, what they do. They, they've got tiny paws and claws, and that's the way they are. There's the yin and the yang, the darkness and the light. But the, the light always always casts out the darkness, no matter what you do. So, to be honest with you, quite honest with you, I don't even think about it anymore. No. 
No, I mean, yeah, I, I do. Uh, it's it's a story, not even a story. It's an an incredible thing that happened not far at all from where I live in a pub that driving past it looks so unassuming. Mm-hmm. It, and here it is being watched by 20 million people on overseas in America on, on the Discovery Channel. I've got one last question on the whole mystery and it may be a question that will never be answered. It's, it's pro- possibly a question that you don't know the answer to. I did an investigation at the Wheat Chief in 2015. I spoke to the landlord and when we were talking to him when I was there, we got talking about Jessica and he said, oh yes, we believe that her and the remains of seven others are in a well somewhere in the village of Bolden, discarded down the bottom of a well, because obviously evidence of her being in the Weechief after death were were found behind that wall, but her body itself wasn't. And then in the Chronicle, the local newspaper, in 2019, there was a group who, who was speaking to the Chronicle because they were going to be the second group ever to do it since this landlord took over, which I guess means that I was the first. And the article in the newspaper said that they now believe that Jessica's remains are buried beneath the cellar of the Wheat Chief. To me, it's one of these things that we'll never have an answer to, but I just wondered if you've got any thoughts about where... I mean, I know Jessica's at peace now, and at the end of the day, her physical remains, it would be nice for her to be given a burial, but maybe it's course, not yeah. necessarily the end of the world, but it would be interesting to know where she is. Yeah. When I connected in that room that time, I knew I hit a nerve, especially mm. when I seen her drop. Yeah. And going through the whole experience through the wee chief, I seen the well, I knew there was some traces there. It's like breadcrumbs, like Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. You know, there is certain things that Joseph's left me. Impressions. Impressions that I will never forget. But also, are they the key? Is that the key he's trying to bring across? Is that the message? But it's like every murderer. They don't want to reveal where where their targets are. No. They like they like the trophies. Yeah. They like everything. Yeah. But when I walked in, I would say on first hand, the instant I knew she was part of that building. Okay. And it was connected to the ceiling, the attic, and that wall. Okay. So she's, you think she's still there somewhere? Yeah. But there is parts to it, it's an alleged. If you ever, did you ever go up in the attic? Yeah, yeah, we did. I've got, I was looking and, through my photos from the Wheat Chief because um, it was, what, seven years ago now. But yeah, yeah, we did. We went up in the attic. And did you see the, the start of the, the middle of the, the beams? And did you look to the right? I don't remember if we looked to the right. I don't remember. I mean, I remember the night pretty well, even though it was quite a long time ago. And in 2015, I did like a flurry of investigations. I don't remember seeing anything particularly memorable when I was up there. And certainly the landlord who was there at the time didn't point anything out to us when we were up there. I, but as I say, the, the building's changed hands since you were there and the Weechee found fame. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Yeah. You know what it is? It always will. You know, as I said to you before, what happened in there was something that needed to come out regardless. Yeah. 
it was building up for something absolutely out there even if it wasn't involved with me no it would have been some form of some way it would have got some form of publicity because of the paranormal happenings that were going on at the time yeah and then if you think about it back then most haunted was a massive thing and everybody was getting involved in the it paranormal was. Side of things. yeah yeah and yet, I only watched one episode before I went out to work and got me tea and come out. I would never, I never watched television. I, that is an ornament. That's yeah. the way I like it. But to then coming back towards that, that time, you can ask one thing, would you do it again? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's good. That's good. And as you say, I mean, it needed to happen. I mean, especially if the year before you were there, somebody was attacked by something and to the point where they ended up in a coma. Yeah. Because yeah. when I was there, and we joked about this before I pressed record when we first started talking, but when I was there, you asked if, if how it was, and it was incredibly peaceful. I will, I mean, I don't, there, there were bits and pieces that happened. I won't go into it in too much detail because I'll probably do an episode about it at some point but it was probably your fault for moving everything on it's a place that's got a a hell of a reputation but I think it's it earned its reputation at that point in time and I think it's a place now where that's not going to happen again no no I mean I, I know that We've talked an awful lot about the the wheat chief, and I, I thank you so much for your time. It's it, it as I say, it's been incredible, and I can't believe that you haven't had a, people asking you to to do this this previously because it's such an incredible story. To the point where, when I watched that documentary, I thought a lot of this stuff has been made up for the the sake of TV, and clearly it hasn't because it's just so remarkable and so unbelievable that that kind of stuff can happen in a, a a little village pub just down the road. Incredible. Thank you so much for that. And I know you've mentioned that you've awesome. written... No, I, I truly do appreciate it. I know you've mentioned that you've written a trilogy of books to this point about The Wee Chief. Where can people listening who want to find out more find them? Yeah. The fourth book is still up there. Yeah. Ready to download. I've I been mean, there before, yeah. This finger first, yes. Yeah. And that's going to be called Cathars. And where, where can people buy these from? Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. So just go and search for your name. Yeah. Suzanne, Suzanne Gill. Gill. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, if you want to know more, there's so much more to tell. So anybody who does want to find out more and look into the Wheat Chief, look at, look, watch that documentary. It's an incredible story. And I guarantee, I mean, you've heard Suzanne talking about everything that happened. Clearly a brilliant storyteller. So why wouldn't you want to find out more? So, oh. so. <laughs> Let, go, go and buy, go and buy them now, go and buy them all.
And that brings my chat with Suzanne to a close. And I hope you enjoyed it and found it as compelling as I did. I send a huge thanks to her for taking the time to talk to me. And if you want to hear even more from Suzanne, you can check out her trilogy of books on the Weechief Horror. Hidden Eyes, Head to Head and Vengeance. And there's a fourth title on the way. As I was listening back to the raw audio from the interview, there were a couple of anomalies fairly close to the end of my chat with Suzanne that I edited out so as not to detract from the story Suzanne had to tell. But I was listening back to this late at night in the dark, and given what Suzanne had told us about Joseph's ability to communicate with her over-recording equipment, they gave me a genuine fright when I unexpectedly heard them. We recorded the interview over Zoom, so of course it's most likely to have some kind of technological explanation. But what if it doesn't? I'm going to play the two sounds for you now, so you can let me know what you think. Here's the first one. No. And here's the second. From where Joseph In early 2015, myself and my small team were the first and only ghost hunters to be allowed to spend time investigating the Wheat Chief after dark. I mentioned in the interview with Suzanne that there was an investigation meant to happen in 2019, but that didn't come to pass. I will be releasing a special episode where I talk through exactly what happened on that dark night, interspersed with actual audio from the ghost hunt. This will be going out for Patreon subscribers in December, and then on the standard podcast feed a few months later, so if you want to hear it when it's released, please check out the detail at the end of the podcast around how to subscribe to Patreon or look in the podcast description. Thank you so much for joining me once again. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you'll see photos galore relating to the Wheat Chief. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you'll join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would like to make a one-off donation to the podcast instead, why not buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoys the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. I have a copy of my book, Ghosts of Edinburgh, up for grabs. If you'd like to enter, all you need to do is leave How Haunted, a podcast review on iTunes, or whatever podcatcher you use. Then drop me an email at rob at how-haunted.com to let me know. The competition will end on Halloween 2022, and the winner will be announced on Twitter and on the first podcast episode after the closing date. Next time out is Halloween. And to celebrate the scariest time of the year, I have something very special lined up for you. 
We won't be looking at one location. We'll be heading to an entire city. A city considered by many to be the most haunted in the world. Don't miss it next week when I will be taking you to York for your very own Halloween ghost walk. It's going to be spooktacular. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe and join me next time when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? Thank you.